Hi, I'm Becky Delius, and this is my fantasy funeral. Imagine you are dead, but you get to design your own funeral. What songs will be played? Who will deliver your eulogy? And where will your remains rest forevermore? This is the scenario presented to my guest today. I'm Ryan Briegel, and you're listening to my fantasy funeral. Today, my guest is a champion of both humanitarian causes and over-the-top, ornate fashion. She lives in Nashville and is one of the rare individuals that was also born here. In college, she spent her time working at an animal shelter, but after graduation, she was hired by a large corporation in the music industry. However, it wouldn't be long before she felt drawn to do something more noble and rewarding, and she soon found herself working for Project Return, an employment agency focused on finding jobs for men and women who have spent time in prison and are now returning to the Nashville community. An aficionado of the drag and club scenes of 1980s New York, she never misses an opportunity to create a look. And her friends know her as a party planner extraordinaire, going to great lengths to get every detail right. She is Becky Delius. Becky, hello. (laughs) Hi. Welcome. Wow, that was a really incredible intro oh, i'm glad you enjoyed that we are <laughs> actually going to kill you off today oh, okay. so don't stay too happy for too long <laughs> don't get too attached to who, no. to who i am okay i wanted to start by asking is death something you think about very often um yeah it, it is actually and i think it's something that i've thought about a lot most of my life um yeah it is and i think also from a young age I was drawn to like my mom was always really into like horror movies and um thrillers and you know kind of like macabre literature like she was a huge like Clive Barker fan and so all that stuff was in our house and and you know I found it pretty early and you know like I went through a Edgar Allan Poe phase when I was pretty young and so I think that um the idea of death and mortality and the afterlife and all that stuff was was something that's kind of been in my psyche for as long as I can remember. Really. And do, do you think about it today? Yeah, lately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably think about it. I mean, more now. You know, as I'm getting older and um, approaching middle age, I guess I think about it. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I do. I think about it every day. I, I guess I assume everybody thinks about it every day. I don't know that everyone does. I'm not sure. <laughs> Is that wrong? Okay. Well, perhaps I'm thinking about it every day. And sometimes it's like a cathartic, like it feels good to think about it. I don't know. Sure. I think it feels good to think about like being missed or being remembered or like being an absence and like somebody recognizing that absence. And I think there's something about that. So it's like soothing. Mm. You grew up in Nashville and as an only child, so there were right. no brothers, no sisters. What was your upbringing like yeah. um, other than horror films? So so I actually have like two way, way older half siblings, but they were never in the home with me. So I was, you know, they were each from a prior marriage of my parents. And so I grew up as an only child. And again, my parents were um, quite a bit older, so... Like, my dad was 55 when I was born, so it was kind of an interesting dynamic in that 
you know, he was just in such a different place in his life than all of my like friends, parents, you know. And so I watched a lot of like really old movies, you know, I was watching movies from like the 30s and 40s and stuff with my dad and like um, listening to really old music and um, you know, generally my parents were very liberal and, um, they, you know, my mom like marched with Planned Parenthood, you know, like I, I enjoyed a pretty, you know, free forward thinking, um, household, you know, and I was really close to my dad. I was, I was very, very close to my dad. I had a little bit more of a complicated relationship with my mother, but, um, a lot of the things that I love now, I think I got from him and from growing mm. up, you know, with him in that house. Did you look at your other friends who had brothers and sisters, though, yeah. and think, wow, I would love to have that? Or no, I like things just the way they are. <laughs> um, I guess it, it sort of depended. I mean, yes, I, I definitely went through, like, sibling envy. Um, my best friend, uh, one of my best friends in elementary school, she had an older sister. And, you know, it was, like, the coolest thing ever that she had this older sister who could drive and had boyfriends and, like, you know. Um, but... I also felt like I had a closeness and sort of like an intimacy with my parents that some of my friends who had siblings maybe didn't have, or at least I didn't see that. Um, but I do think, I do wish that I'd had siblings that I was close with. Um, if nothing else, I think that because when things happen in a family, when there's like strife or illness or burden, like it's nice for you to have somebody to share that with, you know? And so when you're Certainly. an only child, you you know, it's kind of all on you. So my advice would be like, if you have a kid, have another, have a spare to help them out. Uh <laughs> Absolutely. Well, today you get to choose five songs that will be played during your funeral. Okay. Um, what is the first song you've chosen? Yes. So the first song that I've chosen is um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The Wizard of Oz was always one of my favorite movies. Um, I saw it pretty young and it really like lodged in my brain and um, everything about it to me was just like, I don't know, it just, it was, um, it was so appealing on so many different levels and that song, I mean, it's it's almost like cliche, right? Because it's it's like this staple and the standard of you know American you know music, um, but it's just really hard to overstate like the sincerity and the like emotion you know in that song when Judy Garland is singing it and um, and just the longing that's in it. I mean, I think that's what gets me about it is just this like this earnestness of wanting to be somewhere else than where you are and lots of people I think can identify with that um you know that somewhere else is better or somewhere else is safer or somewhere else you know you'll you'll fit in or whatever it is but I think especially you know in a funeral everybody's sitting there hopefully missing you right I hope everybody's like super sad at my funeral and you know and they're hearing this music and it's like you know somewhere over the rainbow and Hopefully they're wishing that they can be where I am or that I can be where they are. Troubles 
melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you find me. Judy Garland and Over the Rainbow from the film The Wizard of Oz. Was there something about the character of Dorothy that resonated with you even as a child and, and then now? Yeah, so, you know, I always thought, like, I always wondered, you know, she's being raised by... Um, you know her aunt and uncle and and I always wondered like where are Dorothy's parents maybe this is covered in the books I have to like full full disclosure I haven't read the books but um, but it's like she's you know she's with her auntie M and and her and her uncle and and there's and I feel like there's like a backstory to that that makes me sad like what happened to her parents and I think maybe I was sensitive to that even as a you know as a kid like with my own dad being sick and um that fear of like if something happened to my parents like who would raise me and you know essentially like she gets whisked off to Oz because she's trying to rescue Toto from like being put down like being euthanized because he but you know he bites you know Miss Gulch like the Wicked Witch and so it always struck me as like this is something I would do like if, if somebody were gonna steal my dog or steal my pet or whatever you know like I would I would I would take it and bail, you know, I'd get out of there. Um, so I don't know. I think she's like, I mean, she, obviously she's a heroine, but I think there's, I think she's like such a multidimensional character that we, that we just don't give enough credit to now because it's, it's like, again, it's so ingrained in our culture that it's hard to sort of like, it's hard to pick it out because it's so much part of like the scenery, you know? It really is. Um, you have lived through something that most people your age along those lines as you were speaking have not gone through Um, your father Will had cancer Mm -hmm. and died when you were young were you even 18 Uh, no I was I was 17 and then just weeks after your 30th birthday I believe your mother Sharon also dies of cancer that's right how did your first of all how did your father's passing change your view of death when you were 17 yeah um yeah gosh so I think that like that time in everybody's life when you're an older teenager so you're like graduating high school you're going to college is such a self-absorbed like selfish part of your life and I've often thought that that reality that I was 17 and that I was super like self-absorbed in just the way that teenagers are right like just as a result of like them trying to figure out like who they are like their place in the world um you know like social dynamic like all of that stuff kind of absorbed the shock I think of it in a way that I think otherwise it could have been potentially like I mean, it was devastating, but devastating in a way that my life would not have gone on to be somewhat normal and productive. And so because I, you know, I think about people who lose their parents young, especially in the line of work that I do, working with people who are coming out of incarceration. And I can't tell you how many times like I sit on the other side of somebody who, you know, lost someone really close to them when they were, you know, a kid or you know 14 15 16 and their life completely diverts in another direction and they seek out you know whatever that comfort is if it's you know bad relationships or drugs or alcohol and and I certainly had you know <laughs> I certainly had my wilder moments but it never veered so far off track you know that there was any like permanent damage I guess and I guess that's all to say that I think about my life in two distinct halves and so there's my life from like being born until I until I was like 17 when my dad died and then for 
a lot of different reasons, you know, my life completely changed. And so, you know, my mom kind of lost it and the family, like this nuclear, you know, unit that I'd grown up with didn't exist anymore. And, um, you know, I went away to school, you know, later that year. Um, and yeah, it was just, uh, it was a lot of change and I'm kind of grateful for that because like I said, I was like, my dad passed away in March. I graduated high school in May and then I went to college, you know, like in August. So there was so much happening during that time and like just so much profound change in my life and so much profound growth that it kind of like it absorbed the shock. And I don't know how it would have been different had it happened a year sooner or a year later. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, my life was like, you know, it was altered it was changed forever but I think that I was like sort of granted a blessing and a, a blessing from the universe or whoever you know right. and that it, it was at this time when there was a lot of other stuff to focus on and so you know I was able to kind of like bend my brain away from it mm. that's an interesting way to look yeah. at it did your parents bring you up with any religious focus at all like no at church? no my parents weren't religious um my mom was like pretty militantly atheist um my dad like we like we I remember because I grew up in the south and a lot of my friends went to church and so I that was something I saw them do and I wanted to do that because it felt very normal and so we went to like a Lutheran church for a few years and my mom you know like we would you know my mom was an atheist but also reformed Jew and so it what as I got older I would go to like synagogue by myself and that felt really comforting like more comforting than going to church it ever really felt but you know I wasn't raised with any dogma like we didn't pray like that was always something weird when I went to a friend's house for dinner if they like prayed before they ate and I was always like I have no idea what's going on I was like the most nervous nerve-wracking thing we're like well if the guest you know lead grace and I'm like oh fuck like I don't know you know like I don't know what this is I don't know what to do here you know um that's good in a lot of ways because I, I wasn't like, I didn't have a lot of like of the guilt or shame or whatever it is that people who grow up with a religion talk about having, but I also didn't have any of the like good stuff either, which is like the comfort of feeling like if my parents die, they go to a better place or any of that mm, stuff, you know? Right. Tell me about your second song choice. My second song choice, um, is a song called Denomination Blues Part One. There is a part two. Um, by a man named Washington Phillips. Yeah, this is this is a an overtly re religious song. Um, he was this guy who was really kind of active in like the twenties and thirties and forties, um, and he traveled around mostly the southeast Texas, um, playing this like instrument that he had made himself. And it's kind of like a harpsichord. It's like a zither. Um, and he sang the song about um, essentially talking about how doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't matter what specific belief you have about whatever ritual or whatever hoops you have to jump through to like get to heaven. That all that matters is that you like believe in Jesus and you believe in God. And um, even though I don't subscribe to that, you know, particular brand of thinking, um, there's something in that song that's like so beautiful and so pure and, and I think really progressive as well for that time. And, um, I don't know, just listening to it, it just feels otherworldly. It's always struck me that you're, like, hearing music from, like, another 
plane of existence or something just like the tinkling i'm not a musician i don't know how to like articulate what that instrument is or like how what what he's doing to play it but it just it's just always struck me as just the, the purest most just sincere um form of like worship i guess is what is what he's doing right he's like worshiping um and so i would like to play that because i think it's i think it brings a lot of comfort well the nomination has no right to fight they ought to just treat each other right and that's all i tell you that's all but you better have jesus i tell you that's all Primitive Baptists, they believe you can't get to heaven unless you wash your feet, but that's all now. I tell you, that's all. But you better have Jesus. I tell you, that's all. The only primitive that has any part is the one that's after washing with a peanut heart, and that's all now. I tell you, that's all. But you better out, Jesus. I tell you, that's all. Denomination Blues Part 1 by Washington Phillips. Becky, you went to school at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. That's affectionately right. known as Ole Miss. <laughs> that's right. Where did the choice to attend that college come from? Well, I knew that I wanted to go to like a big SEC school because um, I had grown up going to like SEC games like Vandy games and stuff with my dad so I don't know like that was that was important to me for whatever reason to go to like a school um a big SEC school and uh I couldn't get into Vanderbilt (laughs) um but I started dating a guy um my senior year um of high school who actually went to Ole Miss and so um he was like well you know you should come check it out and I did and I fell in love with it and then it was just you know how long did he last? <laughs> um, so he, we dated, um, he was a few years older than me, but uh, we dated through my freshman year. And then he actually, speaking of funerals, he actually passed away. Um, I want to say in like 2012 um, in a rafting accident. So that's also kind of something that is interesting. Like going to Ole Miss was probably like, it's like one of those big, defining kind of decisions you know like we make decisions in our life and some have a lot of consequences some don't have you know much at all and going deciding to go there really shaped like you know who my friends are now like who my best friends are now even and you know the kind of person I am and um the way I feel about the south or the way I feel about you know whatever and um and that person that really is the reason that I went there is not alive anymore. So that's mm. something I kind of think about sometimes. Mm. While you were there, you volunteered and then were offered a job at the Humane Association, yeah. um, the animal shelter in Oxford. Yes. What did a love of animals guide you there? What what brought that about? Yeah, I was just, it was like I was spending a summer, I think, there and doing summer school. And um, Oxford is a tiny, t- I mean, it's bigger now, but it was a t- it's a tiny, sleepy town, especially in the summer when all the students are gone. And just kind of looking for something to like fill my days and um I went out there and I volunteered it was you know it's like out in the county and um and then you know I did that for like a month or two and then they offered me a job so and I started working out there but then I understand your job was cut short (laughs) due to a maybe a last minute getaway to one of your favorite yeah so one night um my friend Sean and I 
were like out drinking and we were like let's go to new orleans so and again oxford isn't like close to new orleans you know this is like an eight hour drive um but we were like yeah let's do it and so i don't even think we like went back to our houses to get clothes or anything we just like got in my car and started driving and um that's like the kind of thing that you do and you're like you know 21 years old but um and so i was supposed to work the next day and needless to say i didn't make it so um i was i did not return back to the shelter but um, something about new orleans was calling you something about new orleans was calling me you know it always calls me still um it calls me all the time but yeah we went down and just had like a wild weekend and you know it's crazy like i'm such a way less spontaneous person now i think it's because i just got it all out of my Ooh. system during that time <laughs> you also worked at a record store in oxford yeah. which i believe may have brought you your third song choice yes. what is that song yeah so this song is um a song called theologians um by wilco um from their from their album a ghost is born which is one of my favorite records of all time um yeah, so I worked in this little record store in Oxford um, called Hot Dog Records. It was really cool, super tiny, like tiny, tiny, tiny record store. And, you know, we were all being like paid like cash under the table by the owner. And, you know, it was just awesome. It's like one of those places like every, you know, your, your tiny town independent record store. It was mostly CDs. Um, I listened to this record just like nonstop. And this song, if Jeff Tweedy didn't write this song to be used like in a funeral, I just... I can't believe it. The line, you know, theologians don't know nothing about my soul. You know, where I'm going, you cannot come. Um, it's just, it's, it seems, it's, it's like a joyous celebration of moving on from this mortal coil is the way what that song feels like. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good song. Theologians. Wilco and theologians from the album A Ghost is Born. Becky, in 2013, you moved to Brooklyn mm -hmm. and lived there for four years. Yes. How did you find New York? Was it love at first sight? <laughs> No, um, I think I started liking New York about six months before we moved. Um, moved away. Moved back. away. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was not. It was an incredibly difficult move. Um, it was. Oh man, it was tough. It was a really tough couple years there. Um, I mean, of course, it's like trial by fire. So it's you know you you learn to love it because it just takes so much effort to live there that you once you get the hang of it you're, it's like this really incredible sense of like empowerment and accomplishment you know um but it was not love at first sight i didn't understand it it didn't understand me we didn't get along like it wasn't good 
But while you were there, you did discover uh, a place called the House of Yes. Yes. The weekly parties they throw there. Yes. What exactly is the House of Yes all about? Oh, my God. So the House of Yes is the happiest place on earth. It's not Disney World. It's the House of Yes. Um, I don't know. There's other, there's other like, parties and clubs and stuff that are happening in Manhattan. But um, Bush, Brooklyn in particular – um, has a really unique form of drag and has a really unique form of like performance art and um, and I think and I, I I call it like glitter gender or like glitter queer or whatever which is just like House of Yes is this place where you go and there are you know there's music there's DJs um, they have all kinds of entertainment you know they have like burlesque and they have like you know erotic poetry readings or whatever but you know the nights when they have like big theme parties so you know it's like you know um, intergalactic extravaganza and everybody comes in costume and um, it's just the best feeling in the world like you walk around and it's such a positive environment like everybody's complimenting everybody else everybody is just like their freak flag is like at like high mass you know it's 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 just so cool it's a place to showcase like whoever you think that you are inside and you like don't get to show that every day because you have a job or you have a family or whatever it is like you can go there and for you know you know six hours or however long like you can be that you can be whatever creature you feel like you are on the inside and I just love it because it's um I think it's something that every town needs and and it's rare like it only happens in bigger cities but i think every every single town needs a house of yes do you think this the sorts of events could work in nashville yeah have we progressed enough to <laughs> accept the wild antics that that sort yeah of thing i don't know you know qdp is is the closest i think that there is especially like qdp halloween party or you know that they do is kind of the closest to it and um I would I mean it would be my dream to open something like the house of yes here um I don't know if it is sustainable I don't know um that's a good question I mean I think part of the advantage to house of yes is that they've managed to keep it really weird and really authentic and also have sort of what I say like our outsiders to that scene you know you're more like buttoned up kind of straight laced you know people come in and party and have a good time but I, I feel like they do a good job of forcing those people to be really respectful of the space and respectful of like what they've created and of the safe you know the safe harbor I guess sort of that they've made for everybody else and um, I'm not sure that in Nashville you, you could quite frankly have a place that doesn't get overrun by like bros and um, you know and and I think that would be my fear is is having it somewhere where there aren't enough people to keep that balance what's your fascination with specifically 1980s new york club kids the art scene what what do you love about that i don't know like like the freedom and the grittiness i mean new york was like kind of scary you know then i mean i lived there but you know i've heard stories and i've read things and um but there was also just this like incredible freedom where you know you could squat in an abandoned you know building and you could like make a home with your friends and it was this like anarchist kind of communal living and you you know created families out of your friends and especially if you were you know like a queer kid who from the midwest and you found yourself in new york and then you you know what i mean and you could like finally be free to be whoever you wanted to be and part of that was like going to these clubs and you know going to limelight and going to dance Tyria and like you know doing all these things and um really sort of expressing um 
and finding your sort of joy and I don't know there's just something about New York from that time period that feels so alive and electric and um it, it's it just in creative and I don't know I just it's I love it I love thinking about it I love you know imagining what it would have been like to be there and you know reading about it and seeing pictures and all that stuff um, I believe Brooklyn, New York, brings us to your fourth song choice. What is that? <laughs> yeah, so this is a song called Broke, um, particularly the live version of this song um, on a record, um, Baron Von Bullshit Rides Again by Modest Mouse. Um, so, part, you know, the beautiful thing about New York is just like how you can just, you're sort of anonymous, you know? And I think that overwhelms some people, but I, I found it really liberating that you, there's so many people and everybody's kind of like, in their own two foot bubble um and you uh nobody's really paying attention to you you know and there's like freedom in that um so I would just walk around and just like feel the sunshine and you know see all the like little weird vignettes that you can see in New York and Brooklyn and uh one day I was coming back to the apartment and in this song I was listening to this song through my headphones and um I was walking up the stairs and there's like this part of um the song that is this like really sort of heavy drum beat and I was just sort of imagining you know seeing me walk up the stairs and this song is playing and this hard drum you know drum beat is happening sort of in time with my walk and then um the music stops and then you kind of hear my footsteps continue up the stairs until you just don't hear them anymore and that was always to me like the most cinematic way to think about like seeing some literally seeing somebody off you know to the other side um and and when the music stops and like you know the flowers are gone and all that stuff and you kind of hear their footsteps until you don't right until days go by and weeks go by and months go by and years go by and whatever you remember about that person is kind of like gets hazy and like fades a little bit it gets pale um and that's kind of how i thought about that song very intense drumming of Modest Mouse and their <laughs> song Broke, performed live in Orlando in 2004, found on their live album Baron Von Bullshit Rides Again. Becky, you currently work with former convicts through an organization called Project Return, helping them find jobs once they are released from prison. How did you come to this extraordinary field? <laughs> well, um, we don't call them convicts. I the, am so the sorry. <laughs> The previously incarcerated or the formerly incarcerated. Thank you. It's okay. Um, so I worked for a very like corporate um, company in the music industry for 10 years and basically this the whole sum of my professional career. And um, 
I was working in their legal department and the election happened and lots of things changed and I decided that I wanted to do something that I felt like made some difference or made some dent or was some counter act to what I felt like was happening uh, or was about to happen I guess and so I wanted to get into nonprofit work for a while um, so when we moved back um, I started working for them um, doing program service work and uh, yeah it's the um, the impact that uh, the agency uh, is able to make or you know I don't I really like hate for the agency to take credit for it it's really like the motivation that these men and women have who are coming out of incarceration and I think what we do is we just are like a good um, gathering spot of resources and we do a good job of meeting people where they are and we do a good job of like connecting people with jobs or connecting people with other resources but but really all the motivation comes from them you know I mean we're not like they're they're the ones doing all the work I like to say you know uh, before we hear your final song choice, yeah. I wanted to ask, have you thought about the person, whether alive, dead, fictional, real, famous, or just a friend who would choose to deliver your eulogy? Yeah, um, I guess if I could have anybody, I would resurrect Tennessee Williams to come back to life to deliver my eulogy. Um, for me, it's almost like him, he himself is a character. It's like he pinned himself into life. I mean, he is one of his own characters. Um, you know, he grew up in this sort of like uh, genteel but not incredibly moneyed family. Um, and so, you know, he had like an overbearing mother and, you know, a father who wasn't very nice. And, you know, he was this like closeted gay kid. And, you know, but he kind of went through all of these like milestones and bitch marks that, you know, like good, well-heeled, you know, young men go through. And his whole life, he really desperately wanted to be accepted by, you know, these sort of like blue blood of like Southern society. And he, he craved that, like he craved that acceptance. And, you know, he looked the part and he talked the part and all that stuff but I don't think he ever really felt fully accepted like because he was a gay man during that time and you know he he had he had you know relationships throughout his life and some were good and some weren't good and um you know he I just think he was was such a such a fascinating person and he I think that his his desperation of feeling both incredibly constricted and incredibly um, boxed in by the same society that he so desperately wanted to be a part of you know it was like he he couldn't reject it you know I think it's like he would be the one that I could think could articulate you know the best um and make everybody cry. Is there a certain line of his that he wrote that you would love for him to read in your yeah. honor? Yeah. That would be fitting. Yeah. There is a line um, from one of his plays where he says, we all live in a house on fire. No fire department to call. No way out. Just the upstairs window to look out of while the fire, fire burns the house down with us trapped, locked in it. And I know that's like super dark and like kind of depressing, but I mean, it's so true. Like, you're all you have you know like we're all locked inside of our bodies we're locked inside of our own minds and our house is constantly burning down and and sometimes we're able to keep the fire at bay and sometimes we're able to like extinguish it but there's always like an ember there that you know when the wind blows right is going to spark back up that's kind of 
how I feel about it. And then, you know, at the end of your life, like you kind of succumb to that fire. That doesn't need to be a sad thing necessarily. It's just like, you know, we're kind of crushed by the sum of our parts, I think. He would deliver that line with the perfect amount of drama. Exactly. For your your special day. With like a cigarette and a cigarette holder. (laughs) Um, We've come to your fifth and final funeral song. What is it? So either this is going to be the song that I have like my first dance to when I get married or my funeral song, whichever comes first. Who knows at this point? You know, I don't know. Um, but it's by, it's a song by the Fleetwoods called Come Softly to Me. And this is one of those bands that I was introduced to um, because of my dad. And it's, um, it's soft and it's, um, again, it kind of has that like innocence of the 50s. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's very gentle and it's very like kind and, um, and it's, you know, like sweetly beckoning somebody, you know? Come softly, darling. Come softly, darling. I need you so Fleetwoods and Come Softly to Me. That is Becky Delius's final fantasy song choice. A very nice way to end. Becky, have you thought about how you would like to be buried, where you would want to end up? Yeah, I have. And so since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with having a glass coffin. I'm positive this comes from Snow White. Also, during like when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out and Lucy is buried, she has like she's in a she's in a glass coffin, which I think was kind of popular at one point, sort of during like the Victorian era in Germany. There were people that were like making these glass coffins for like aristocracy or like heads of state. You can't bury a glass coffin because it cracks under the pressure of of the dirt, and so these coffins were really used for like. Um, if you had a crypt or if you were just going to be like out somewhere like linen, right? Like he's the most famous person that has a glass coffin. Um, but I've always really been struck by the of having a glass coffin and having it like in the middle of the woods somewhere. And so that was always sort of the idea or, you know, alternate, alternatively, I've, you know, having like a big second line, like jazz funeral and um, just scatter my ashes through the French Quarter, like just scatter them right into like the discarded like plastic beer cups and beads and like vomit. Like that's fine, you know, just to be part of that. More of a public event. More of a pu- more there. of a pub, mm. very public event. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Wonderful. <laughs> well, this has been very nice, Becky. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This has been I'm, I'm so glad I finally get to talk about all this stuff that I've like thought about for years and years and years. Yes, it's been wonderful to get to hear your fantasy funeral (laughs) thank you my fantasy funeral is brought to you by we own this town full versions of the songs chosen today can be heard on our spotify playlist find out more at myfantasyfuneral.show i'm ryan briegel thank you for listening Thank you.